Well, it's good to be back in this pulpit. It's a pleasure to see you folks again and, and uh, to have an opportunity to spend this two days before Christmas with you today. And I have been, over the last couple of months, preaching a series of messages that uh, you'll remember I called Attitudes and Actions of a Christian. And today, today's Christmas message picks up on that theme and kind of deals with part of it. Good actions are important, but if they are not the result of a good attitude, the Bible tells us that those actions are pretty worthless. And at the same time, a good attitude is vital, but if it doesn't result in good actions, well then it is not what God wants to have happen. The two must go together, attitude and actions working together. While picnicking in a park, a man sees a strange sight. He sees two city workers working very hard, good actions. They're working hard. One of them is digging holes in the ground. And then he will take exactly 15 steps and dig another hole. Another fella comes along behind him and fills the hole in. Fills the hole, 15 steps later, fills the next hole in. And that happens all the way through the guy's lunch hour. He's, he's a taxpayer, and he's watching these city workers. One digs a hole, the other comes along and fills it in. He finishes his lunch, watches this thing go on for an hour, goes over and talks to the guys. He said, what are y'all doing? Looks to me like a lot of wasted effort. And the answer was, well, actually, we're a three-man crew, and the guy that's supposed to put the tree in the hole is sick today. Uh-huh. Good attitude, hard work, worthless actions. So what about us today? Today, let's focus primarily on the attitude part of the equation as we examine the two sides of Christmas, the dark side, then the bright side of Christmas. Looking at the events of the first Christmas, we see that things were changing. The people's attitudes did matter as they matter today, and we're going to look at the familiar passage of the Christmas story found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Matthew chapter 2, if you want to follow along in your Bible. Matthew 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. I'm reading from the New International Version. When King Herod heard this, verse 2 had said, the Magi said, where is he who's king of the Jews? When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Of course, when the king gets upset, then everybody's concerned, so they were all disturbed. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. First of all, we'll look at the dark side of Christmas. Later on, we'll look at the bright side, the dark side of Christmas. First, let's look at the attitude of the religious leaders, the chief priests and scribes of Jesus' day, the religious leaders. Verse 4 says, when he, talking about King Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, the religious leaders were willing accomplices to Herod. They had received state approval. When the state inserts itself into our faith, egos prevail and bad things will happen. That's one of the reasons that America was created, was to get away from the state inserting itself into our faith. Religion takes on political expediency. you got to be careful with that. In 1997, I think it was or so, I was coming back to the United States from one of my excursions into the Middle East for the Marine Corps, and I had a a friend, a a man and his wife, that were parents of of a young lady who was a member of the church I was pastoring, and uh, they had visited her in Berlin, and uh, he had prayed to receive Christ while they were visiting their daughter in Berlin. And then they went back home to Germany, and I decided to stop off in Germany and visit with them while I was uh, on my way home. Had a nice visit with them and so on. But uh, one of the things I found out while I was there, and I assume it's still the case in Germany, somebody in the, in the room may know this for sure, but you paid taxes and you designated whether your taxes were going to support the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church. If you were Baptist, you're out of luck. But your taxes either supported and you designated Catholic Church or Lutheran Church. Of course, most Baptists don't want tax money supporting the church anyway. We believe that our churches are supported by tithes and offerings. But you see a problem there? If if you don't, there's there's a possibility. If you don't do what the political party in power wants you to do, now I'm not saying they would do this, but there's the possibility that taxes could be withheld if you did something they didn't like. And you see, anytime you have 
the political and the faith married together, you've got a problem. And that's what we see here. The Jewish leaders had a relationship with Herod the king. And so they didn't want to make waves. And Herod the king, the Jewish leaders, were proud that Herod had called them to ask them questions. In the biblical account, the religious leaders missed out on the greatest event in history because they had a smug attitude because the king had called them to ask them questions about stuff. We have it made. The king likes us. He sends for us when he wants to know something. And they conveniently ignored the coming of the Messiah that had been predicted for a long, long time. It happened on their watch, and they missed it because they were smug in their relationship with the political leader. And today, many religious leaders ignore the Christ of the battle, uh, I'm sorry, the Christ of the Bible, as they lead their followers to practice their non-biblical religion or misguided form of Christianity. We have a lot of religious leaders today who are encouraging people to follow them through misguided, non-biblical ways of worshiping. They're creating religions that are not what the Word of God would have them do, have them actually do. A large and growing cult in America that teaches that Jesus is a spirit child of God and that we are spirit children of God, and that Satan is a spirit child of God. And since the Bible doesn't say that, the fella that came up with that decided to write his own companion volume of the Bible called the Book of Mormon. And that then takes on as much gravity as the Bible does. And you, you could come up with, you could say anything you want to, you know, and put your own volume together. But see, that's not the Bible. It's not in the Bible. That, that, what that does is that makes Jesus and Satan brothers. And it makes all of us brothers as well with that. That's not biblical. That's coming up with something that's non that is not what God wants us to be doing in our Christianity. And they call themselves Christians. There's universalism. It's a feel-good thing that says everything is going to be just fine. Everything, you're going to, you can do anything you want to as long as it makes you feel good. It's all right because we're all going to be just fine in the end anyway. There's, there's the uh, philosophy that Jesus is a, uh, was a strong leader, but he's not God. Even the Muslims believe that, that Jesus was, 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 he was part of a, uh, a prophecy, part of a, a prophet kingdom, but he was not God at all. And then there are those who focus on Jesus Christ still hanging on the cross. Jesus hung on the cross for a few hours, but boy, he's been off that cross a long time. See, we don't, we don't have Jesus on the cross because he got off there and he went into a tomb but he only stayed there for a little while 
And then he came back to life, and that is the Jesus that we worship, the one who is now on the right hand of God making intercession for you and me and through the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives now. That's the Jesus of the Bible, and that's the one we worship. Thank you, Jesus, that you are there for us now. Knowing the Word of God keeps us from following false leaders. Now, I just picked out a few and picked on them a while ago. But make sure you know the Word of God. That's why you go to your K groups, right? So you can know the Word of God and you'll know how to answer those folks that come up and try to lead you astray. Knowing the Word of God helps us to know what we need to do when we hear from false leaders. Next, let's look at the attitude of Herod the king. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. All Herod could see was a threat to his position as king. Jesus would say later, my kingdom is not of this world. Herod just saw it as a, as a threat to him. But, nah, Jesus wasn't a threat to him. Jesus said, you know, he had a kingdom of somewhere else. Herod did not have all the facts. He jumped to inappropriate conclusions. Knowing all the facts is so important when we make decisions. We get the facts for us. We get the facts right here. Did you ever make a mistake because you didn't have all the facts Nod your head. We've, we've all done that, haven't we? Made mistakes because we didn't have all. Makes you feel pretty foolish. On maneuvers last century, a sailor standing watch on a battleship spotted a light through the fog. And after getting its compass coordinates, the captain saw that he was on a collision course with the other vessel. And so... He ordered, signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you, change your course 20 degrees. And the return signal from the other place said, advise you, change your course 20 degrees. And the captain of the battleship said, I am a captain. Change your course 20 degrees. And the other guy signaled back and said, I am a seaman second class. Change your course 20 degrees. The captain signaled back, I am a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees. And the seaman second class signaled back, I am a lighthouse. It helps to have all the facts before you make your decision, right? We'd best let the facts help us in determining our attitudes and our actions. Well, Herod didn't have all the facts, and of course, he made a lot of decisions. Many hear the message of the Christ of Christmas, but oppose him because he threatens some preconceived idea of what we want our lives to be like. We, we have a plan for our lives, and it doesn't fit in with what we understand that Jesus would really want us to do. 
you know, he wants us to be this goody two-shoes. And we don't want to be a goody two-shoes. We want to have a lifestyle that's different than that. Uh, get your facts. Look and see at the wonderful life that Jesus Christ has in store. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Or as my translation says, that you can have it to the full. Jesus wants us to have a good, full life. He doesn't want us to to be miserable in our lives. He wants us to have a, a good, full life. That's what Jesus wants. Herod not only secretly opposed Christ, he openly resisted him. Verse 7 says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And that began his plot against baby Jesus that ended up killing all the babies of the land that were under two years old. What a great guy. Herod slaughtered the babies two years old and younger hoping to kill this future king of the Jews. Of course, God knew all about that stuff, and he knew how to protect Jesus, and he did. That's the dark side of Christmas, but there's a bright side. This is the, this is the good part, the bright side of Christmas. Let's look at the bright side of Christmas. We're still talking about the importance of good attitudes. For example, attitude, it's, it's important to have good attitude. Attitude determines what you get out of church attendance. Parenthetically, it has been said, if all the people who sleep through the sermon were stretched end to end, they would be a lot more comfortable. And there'd be a lot less whiplash. (laughs) What was the first Christmas you can remember as a child like? Is it a bright memory in your mind? Do you remember your first Christmas? My first Christmas, Papa was pastoring at the Mayhill Baptist Church. If you drove to Almagorda and turned left and went up through Cloudcroft and went 18 miles further, you would reach the little town of Mayhill. And that's where Papa was pastoring. And they didn't pay enough for us to live very well. And so we also farmed down that valley between Mayhill and Cloudcroft. And we, we were so poor, uh, we used horse-drawn implements in those days. And we lived in an unpainted wood house up on the side of a hill. We didn't have any plumbing. I think we'd just recently gotten electricity. But I was four years old, so I'm, I'm remembering this from back then. But all when Christmas time came, there were five in our family, my older brother and sister and me. And just the memory of that Christmas still brings warmth to my heart still remember it with such joy. We had, my mother said, we're going to have a good Christmas here. And so it, it, that unpainted wooden house with a, with a wood-burning stove in the living room and a wood-burning 
kitchen stove in the kitchen. That's all the heat we had. We had snow up there. It's up in those mountains where it's, where it's so cold. And we had outdoor facilities. And the facility didn't sit over a hole. It sat over a ditch, which gave you a special blessing when the wind was blowing hard. And, and I remember that on Christmas, uh, sometime during, before Christmas, seems to me like it's Christmas Eve, Mom told Pop to go out and cut down a pinyon tree up on the hill behind the house. And he took a saw and the three of us kids, and he went up behind there and cut down a, a pinyon tree, and he trimmed off some of the bottom branches. and We dragged it down to the house, and we put that tree uh, in the living room. I don't remember how he fixed it to stand up, but he did. And then mom popped popcorn. You ever do that? And then we strung the popcorn on with needle and thread and put the popcorn around the tree. And then, then we had some uh, a construction paper that was left over from vacation Bible school at the church. The, and, and we made the ornaments from construction. It was the most beautiful tree in the world. And mother made a big white star out of white paper that we put on the top. And, it, and, and then we had an old upright piano that they still had when Pop died in uh, 2009. And Mom sat down at that piano and we sang Christmas carols. And you know what it was about? It was about Jesus. The whole Christmas experience was about Jesus in my first memory. And after we sang that, we went to bed, and that we didn't have any Christmas presents under the tree, but I had wanted a pistol, and so uh, I was just hoping that Santa Claus would bring me a pistol, and so we got, when we went to bed, the three of us slept in the same bed, and it had a cast iron foot, you know, you have a headboard, a footboard, had a cast iron footboard, and we got uh, three of Papa's socks and we hung them on the end of the footboard, and we knew that Santa would come see us that night, and there would be something in each sock for each one of us. And I wanted a pistol. I was raised around guns, and I wanted a, a pistol. And I wanted a real pistol. I was four years old. And the next morning, when I woke up, Santa Claus had visited, and I had a cap pistol in my sock. And I was a little disappointed, but not terribly. I had a cap pistol. It was, what a great Christmas. And do you know what? The whole story was, and Pop and Mom made sure that we knew, the whole story was about Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people going to celebrate Christmas day after tomorrow, and it's going to be about everything but Jesus. Let's, if you have any influence over people between now and day after tomorrow, make sure that they remember who it's about, okay? It's about Jesus. And it doesn't have to be real fancy. It can be in an old unpainted wood house, I guess. But just make sure that the big thing, the big guest in what we're doing is about Jesus. Just as the first Christmas was all about Jesus. Think about the attitude of the wise men. They were actually seeking Jesus. In verse 2, they ask, where is the king of the Jews? And wise people still seek Jesus, as we say so often. They sought him, 
and they found him. Verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Later in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, Seek, and you shall find. They sought, and they found. They were seeking with all their heart. And that's a word for us today. Seek him. Call upon him while he is near. Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart knocking. He wants you to open the door so he can come in and sit down with you and fellowship with you. He says, I'll come in and sit sup with you. Just come in and have a warm fellowship time with you. That's what Jesus is doing. There's a wonderful old song that says, I asked the Lord to comfort me when things weren't going my way. He said to me, I will comfort you and lift your cares away. I asked the Lord to walk with me when darkness was all that I knew. He said to me, never be afraid, for I will see you through. I didn't ask for riches. He gave me wealth untold, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky. And he gave me eyes to behold. I thank the Lord for everything, and I count my blessings each day. He came to me when I needed him. I only had to pray, and he'll come to you if you ask him to. He's only a prayer away. He's only a prayer away. He's right there. Just a prayer away. Just talk to him. He's right there. Just talk to him for crying out loud. And finally, the attitudes of Mary and Joseph. They were in a tough situation. Here's a pregnant girl that wasn't married in a land where they'd stone you to death for that stuff. And they, they, they had a hard time. And Joseph realized that what was happening with Mary, and he was a good guy because he had decided to put her away privately so that she wouldn't have to go through the embarrassment. But fortunately, God talked to him in a dream and told him it was okay. Did you know that there are no words of Joseph recorded in the Bible? We don't have anything that he said recorded in the Bible, but we see his attitude. We see his support for this woman that he loved. Joseph was obedient to the Lord and a great support to her. And we see that in a supportive, loving Joseph, that he just helped her all the way through everything that she had to go through. Then the attitude of Mary. Mary welcomed Jesus. In Luke 1.38, after the angel told her she'd have Jesus, she said, May it be with me as you have said. What an attitude, what an attitude Mary had. Today, the Holy Spirit is looking for a warm, welcoming heart. He's looking for your heart to be open to Him. 
when I was a paper boy in Gallup, New Mexico. I did that for four years. There is no place this side of the North Pole that's as cold as Gallup, New Mexico in the winter. And every morning, and it's on hills, so you can't ride a bicycle that three miles to deliver the papers. And so I would walk three miles every morning uh, to deliver the newspapers. And there were a couple of customers on my route that knew what time I would be walking by on, on those winter mornings. And they would welcome me. They would open their door. Invariably, they would have a fire in the fireplace. And they would say, Joe, come in and warm up just a minute. What a blessing. I still remember those, well, I can't think of their names, but I remember those wonderful people that would welcome me in for, to just stand by their fireplace for two or three minutes to warm up and then go back out and deliver some more papers. But what a nice thing to do, a warm, welcoming place to be. And that's what the Holy Spirit is looking for in our lives, for our hearts to be a warm, welcoming place for Him. That's what we see the attitude in Mary's life. She provided a warm, welcoming place for the Holy Spirit to provide a place for Jesus to be born. And that's what God wants us to be about. The greatest Christmas present in, Christ is, in our lives is Christ's presence in your heart for eternity and in your life for today. The bright side of Christmas, welcoming Jesus into our hearts and into our homes, surrendering His will in our, in our lives. Mary said, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. How's your relationship with Jesus Christ today? He came so that it would be bright. He wants us to have a bright relationship with Him. Do you have it? Are you there? Do you know Him personally? Have you come to this Christmas, this pre-Christmas Sunday service so that uh, you can uh, satisfy a family member that invited you to come this once a year? If the reason you're here is not because you have a personal relationship with Christ, may I encourage you to develop that relationship with Him right now. You can do that. Here's how you do it. Recognize that you have sinned. The Bible says we all have. That includes, I'm pointing one finger at you, three at me, the old thing. That means me, that means everybody. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23, we have to spend eternity separated from God because of our sin. Or we can accept Jesus' death as payment for our sin. That's why he came. He came because God loved us so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So we just simply talk to him. Say, God, I, I know I've sinned. And I know my sin must be paid for by death. I thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for me. I now 
accept Jesus' death as payment for my sin. I give my life to him. I invite him to come in and take over. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus for me. Could you do that? Bow your heads with me, please. Right now, I invite you to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never prayed, or if you don't know whether you have or not, then you haven't. If you don't have that personal relationship with Christ, please pray to receive him right now. Invite him into your life. Ask him to become your Lord and Master. And in just a moment, we're going to, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to have some counselors standing here at the front. And you can come up and talk to one of them about making your decision for him. Or maybe you're a Christian that just needs to step out and come down and talk to a counselor about renewing your commitment to Christ. Or maybe you're someone that doesn't want to come to the front, but you know you're ready to give your life to Christ afresh and anew. That little tear-out portion of your bulletin can be used to signify that. And there are baskets at the doors that you can turn it in as you leave. Whatever your decision needs to be, would you all please stand and with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you praying, Christians. Others, whether you, if you need to make a decision for Christ, this is the time. This is the time when you commit your life to Christ. If you need to come down and talk to a counselor right now during these next few minutes, let this be the time when you give your life to Christ. The reason Jesus came was so that he could sacrifice himself for you and you could have eternal life with him in a wonderful place called heaven. He came to give himself to you so for you, so that you wouldn't have to, so that you wouldn't have to die. Dear Jesus, I pray right now that if there are those in this room and in a room this size with this many people, there are almost certainly some who have never given their lives to you. I pray right now that you'll convict them of the need to commit themselves to you and that they will make a decision to make you the Lord of their lives. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth, for growing up and having a ministry for those three years and for sacrificing yourself on that cruel cross, but coming down off that cross, going to the grave and coming back to life, spending those 40 days here on the earth and then going to heaven where you're now sitting at the right hand of the Father for us. Thank you, Jesus for being who you are for us. I pray that you will help us each one not to leave this room without being in the best position with you we can possibly be. We love you, Jesus. Please touch lives right now, I pray. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. In your precious name I pray, amen.